Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Big announcement right up front. Mandarin Blueprint has started a GoFundMe campaign for our advanced course. And I wanted to just alert you guys to it. There are links right below at the beginning of the show notes to donate if you'd like. There's one for GoFundMe and there's also one for a PayPal donation link. And why are we doing this? Well, you know, Mandarin Blueprint, we're doing pretty well for an online course, but it's quite difficult to get to the point where you can focus all of your energies on something that isn't going to have an immediate return. You know, there's sort of a reality to an online business, which is that, you know, if you want to keep your uh, employees happy and, you know, keep having the option to give people a better living wage and, and all of that, you know, you need to uh, constantly be focusing on getting in new customers and new sales. And we're not at the point yet where we're super thriving in that department. We're doing okay, uh, but not enough so that we can say, you know, focus all our energy on a course that will ultimately not really pay its returns for maybe a couple of years. Uh, an advanced course requires people to get quite a far away into the course before they can even get the benefit from it. So it's the kind of thing where we definitely want to do it, but we need a little bit of help from the people in the course who are very interested in us finishing the advanced course in order to justify the time spent on the course itself. So we've set up a GoFundMe and you can check out the details below. I won't go too much into it here other than just to say that if you are interested in getting the advanced course sooner rather than later, then head over there and make a donation. And of course, only donations from people who it is not a financial burden to do so. We're not interested in trying to get people to feel any extra burden uh, financially. And if so, if things are tight at the moment, don't worry about it. Uh, just keep enjoying the course. But if you are in a position where you'd like to see the advanced course come out faster and uh, you'd like us to be able to focus our energies on that as opposed to sort of the short and medium term uh, sales projects, then head over there and you can make a donation either via the GoFundMe page or via PayPal. So that's the announcement we have right up front. Let's get into the podcast this week, which is, uh, of course, one of the one of the great things about the Mandarin Blueprint podcast is that you guys provide such good questions that it ends up being this virtuous circle of, you know, areas where we can find the weaknesses in the course and improve upon them just by you guys asking questions at the precise moment that it's necessary. The reason the Mandarin Blueprint course is so much better than your average Chinese course is because it's alive. You guys are constantly asking questions and it's at that perfect moment. There's two things really. It's not just that it's alive. It's that the order of the characters allows for us to know, you know exactly this many characters, you know exactly this many words at level seven or at level 55. And so when you're asking a question, it's highly relevant. If you don't have the understanding of how a sentence works or how this character is understood or how an individual word works, and then you ask a question, it gives us the perfect understanding of where we need to make a slight adjustment or improvement. And then in many cases, it's also hugely encouraging to the people who are on the course when they see so much success. So let's start off the comments this week with a small success, but I think it's quite a good one, from Kate Gans on the Community Forum. She says, I came across the character Ba while reading Harry Potter today. The component for illness and the character for crust, Ba, combined to create scar. So this is a great example of a phonetic semantic compound. So what she's probably referring to is Harry's Shangba on his forehead, and the Ba, why is it pronounced B-A? Well, because it has underneath the uh, illness component, the character for Ba, which means crust, and it's that's the phonetic component of this character. That's the part that gives you a clue as to what the pronunciation is. A lot of people think that Chinese has no phonetic element to it, but it's not true. There are phonetic clues. Now, they're not as objective as, say, the phonetic rules in Spanish. You know, I think that it's there's always this joke that people who are native Spanish speakers make fun of native English speakers for having a spelling bee because Spanish's rules are consistent. So the idea of having a spelling bee would be silly. Everybody would know, everybody would pass it, right? And so it's not as objective, but it's a clue. And in this case, it happens to be the exact same pronunciation. You've got ba meaning crust and you've got Ba meaning scar. Then you have the semantic component, which is the illness component or the 
somewhat of a bodily defect component. And that's what a scar is. It's, it's you know, a, an element of the body that is not as it theoretically should be. So therefore it gets the illness slash, you know, de de bodily defect component. That gives you a clue to the meaning. So you have the clue for the pronunciation in the lower part, ba, and then you have the clue for the meaning in the uh, illness component. So it's pretty cool how you can come to understand different characters, even when you haven't learned them yet. So that's pretty neat. Next, we have Ann Giles on Yang in context. She says, intelligent, informed, articulate commentary on why we need to be able to communicate with each other. Seeing our world in terms of civilizations rather than nations is a significant contribution to my thinking on the state of things. Thank you, Phil. So yeah, this is kind of an interesting way to view the world. You know, uh, lately, the interaction between China and the West has been fraught and in you know where where to place the blame on that is pretty complicated it's you know there's many varying factors on why there are tensions between our countries but then whenever i see, say that word like there's a there's tension between the nations it doesn't feel right because china doesn't really feel like a nation as it were it feels more like a civilization because the history is so deep in this area uh there have been many changes in power, there have been many uh, invasions and internal conflicts and civil wars and things that have really uh, built up what this place is for good, for better and for worse. And so what that means is that, you know, China's not going away. The concept of China is deeper than even what the government is at the moment. Like, so even if the government switched to another um, uh, regime, it would still be China. You know, the, the China part is not going away. So one of the things that we need to think about when we're talking about making the world safer is better communication between civilizations. And if you think of it like that, it's it's deeper, it's more, you're more um, inclined to recognize that there is wisdom to be gained from understanding this different civilization. And, um, you know, uh, humans are a mix of many different good and bad things. We have sort of our um, compassionate and caring sides, but we also have our very vengeful and malevolent sides. You know, we're, as, as Solzhenitsyn said, the line between good and evil runs down every man's heart. And it's just as true in China as it is anywhere else. And we would be fools to not delve into understanding of what these different places are like. Much of the differences between uh, our different civilizations are related to culture, but sometimes they're just related to geography. Sometimes it's just like, well, here, you know, I live in the Sichuan Basin, which is a particularly unique geographical situation. And I've discovered that Chengdu folks are quite friendly. They're very welcoming. And, you know, you wonder, like, why might that be? Well, some of it's cultural, but then some of it might just be geographical. It's a fairly fortified place. To the west, you've got the Himalayas. So you've got a bunch of uh, fresh water that is, that, you know, just pours right into the city. As the snow melts, it gets into the rivers and it goes right into the city. So the source of fresh water is very close which can be a very, um, that's a surprisingly relevant factor to how a country develops. Because if you don't have enough water, then that's the type of thing that people have conflict over. So there's plenty of water, uh, plenty of arable land in this area, and it's quite far inland. So it's not very easy for foreign invaders to get to. So if you imagine that you have a land of abundance, you have lots of water, lots of places to plant food, and then it's not that easily invaded, well, why not be welcoming? It's very unlikely that the person who you're welcoming is going to end up being a terrible invader. So that's an example of where geography ends up being the reason why something works out uh, and people end up behaving in a way that is more on the good side of the spectrum because they just happen to have great geog geography. I mean, that's one of the reasons why the United States of America is so successful. It's got an incredibly uh, blessed geographical situation. The Mississippi uh, River... Uh, beds and like the various tributaries cover such a huge swath of the nation, provide huge amounts of arable land, and they're navigable by boat. So it's like one of those things that, and of course, the United States has two oceans on both sides of it and friendly neighbors to the north and south. So it's no wonder that they've been so successful when you look at the geography. And so a lot of times when people are talking about the differences between our countries and the differences between our civilizations, there's just 
there's so much left to plumb from this relationship. And that's why Mandarin Blueprints here, we're trying to help bridge that gap of communication. And, you know, Chinese people are really working hard to learn English. They're really working hard to emulate a lot of what Western civilization has to offer. We should be taking the time to understand China more deeply. And again, you don't have to like China for that to be a wise decision. You could even think that China is the biggest threat to the world today. I, you know, that's a very debatable point, but maybe that's your position. And if that's what you think, learn Chinese. I guarantee you, you will not regret that particular decision. And so, uh, and of course, there's also all of the deeper religious elements to things. There's There are religions that come out of China, whether it be Taoism um, uh, or Buddhism or like the more pseudo-religions like legalism, where if you really look into them, you'll find that there is certainly wisdom to be found and uh, areas where you can improve your own personal outlook on life just by understanding more of what's going on in China. And learning Mandarin is one of the first steps to getting there. So uh, thanks to Anne for bringing that up. And, um, you know, we have to, we have to understand each other. It's like of critical importance for the world's safety for the West and China. I mean, imagine if the West and China can get onto the same page, or at least a lot more on the same page, then the risk of conflict internationally goes way down. So we could try to rely on governments to do that. But since when has that been a usually <laughs> a highly effective technique? It's better if we as individuals become better aware of the situation. And of course, you know, the West being mostly democratic, if individuals manage to understand more about China, then the hopefully the uh, politicians would recognize that their constituents are uh, more educated on the topic. Big ideas and of course, uh, high goals and high hopes. But then again, if you don't set your goals high, then uh, you won't even come close to reaching them. Kevin Lee on Vocab Unlocked from Chang which is also pronounced Jiang, and we have Jiang Da, Jiang Xiang, and Jiang De. He says, okay, so I need some explanation on this one. For character 267, Chang, we use a CH pinyin initial, but in all the vocab unlocked, we use the ZH pinyin initial. Did I miss something? Is there a reason we use the CH initial for the character, but not for any of the vocab unlocked? You did miss something, Kevin, because in the uh, Chang make a movie lesson, we talked about how you can make a movie that involves both your CH and your ZH actor because this is a kind of special character. Why? Because in the Mandarin Blueprint method, we cover the primary meaning and the primary pronunciation. Now about 20% of all characters have an alternate pronunciation, but of those um, 20%, very few of them have an alternate pronunciation that's also very high frequency. But in this character's case, they do. You have Chang, which is an adjective meaning long. Of course, like long versus short. Of course, you're going to have a lot of instances where you need to say long when you're describing something. But it also is a verb meaning to grow, Zhang. So, Zhang Da. Grow until you're big, Zhang Da. So, that's grow up. You're Zhang Xiang. The, um, the, your appearance as you've grown. So like your Zhang Xiang is kind of like how you appear to on the outside. And then Zhang De is to grow into something. It's actually Zhang De is not really a word in and of itself. It's just a verb plus the secondary De, which indicates Zhang De Zemmayang. Like how did you grow into something? Like, you know, Zhang De Shuai. He grew to be handsome. So like when you're a little baby, probably not that handsome, but then he grew Zhang De. And then into what? Chao, ugly, or Zhang De Shuai, handsome, or Zhang De Mei, beautiful, or Zhang uh, De Chang, <laughs> meaning grew to be long, for example. And so that's what's going on with this character. It has two very common meanings. The one that's slightly more common is Chang, the adjective meaning long, but it also can mean, uh, it can be a verb meaning to grow. So that's what's up with this character. Next, we have Corneal on level 17 complete. He says, hi, I've been on the course since August, so about nine months, and April was the first month that saw me not skipping a single day of adding at least one lesson. I have a 43-day streak, to be precise, and it's all because I'm using an extra app to stay motivated. I've been using Habit Bull for a while now, which is one of the many apps that help 
build or kick habits. I found it to be extremely useful to get some speed in my progress. It would be amazing if the course had its own streak feature. It's literally the only thing I can think could make this otherwise perfect course better. Yeah, I would love to have streaks set up. We might be able to set that up with the new flashcard software that we have uh, coming up down the pike. Uh, of course, it's not finished yet. We're hopefully getting to the beta test soon um, and we'll be able to consider that. First, we're just going to make sure it's functional. And then once we have that functional going, we'll functionality going, we'll try to look at getting some streaks going. Uh, there's no streak function in the Kajabi platform, which is where the course actually runs, but it's more important that you have your streaks when it comes to reviewing. So we'll look into that and see if we can get streaks going. And I'm glad to see that you've used an app that helps you with that. Habit Bull I've heard of, uh, Habitica is another one. Um, and uh, yeah, getting your daily dose of doing a habit is really you know hugely helpful. Next, we have Philip Dong on Make a Movie for Duh. Uh, and this is... The, the character de or day, depending on the context. So he says, in this sentence, 今天是我妈妈的生日,我得早一点下班给她买个蛋糕. Could it also be written as, 今天是我妈妈的生日,我得早一点下班买个蛋糕给她. So basically, the difference between the two sentences is just where the placement of 给她 is, which means to give to her. And uh, actually, both are okay. Uh, as we cover, we actually cover this in our uh, grammar point about the character gay, which means um, to give. It can also be a preposition meaning with or to, depending on the context. But, you know, the sentence here is the first one is, 我得早一点下班给他买, or 买给他. Like, e either one is okay. Um, or, my grammar module just tells me that both of these are fine. I hear both of them in various circumstances. So, yeah, you can move them around if you want. Matt Schubert on Make a Movie for T. He says, it's still wild that a character this dense with strokes is not only decipherable now, but I consider it easy to write, say, and understand. Sometimes I have these moments in the course that really hit home how well this method works. Yeah, when t the t, and this is just a character that means topic, essentially. Um, you could have a t mu, is the topic of your, uh, say, thesis or something like that. And that's totally, it's pretty cool. Like, it, you can absolutely use the manner of Bloober method to make a complex character like this. It says, you see, it has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 strokes, right? And that is, um, you know, easy to remember if you use the manner of Bloober method. In fact, there's only two props that you need to remember for this. So excellent stuff from Matt. Next, we have another from Matt Schubert on Vocab Unlocked from Jian, Ken Jian, Jian Mian, Zai Jian, Ming Tian Jian. This seems as good a place as any to ask a long-standing question I've had. Is there any meaningful difference between Ken Jian and Kan Dao? I understand both of them are verb result to character verbs, but I can't seem to decipher any difference in when to use them. Thanks. No, no difference, really. Uh, they are just to see successfully. So... Uh, or to look successfully, I guess is the better way. Because when you look, like I always think of this, it's like there's a shooting star in the sky and you look to see it, but if you missed it, you missed it. But if you did see it, you looked first and then you saw it streaking across the sky. So that's the difference between looking and seeing. That's the difference between can and can jian or can dao. In both of those cases, it's just a result. So simple enough. Chris Lewis on Mandarin Tones, Third Tone. I finally got around to starting this course and glad I did as I've already learned something new about Third Tone. Thanks, guys. Really interesting and will undo some mistakes now. Yeah, the Pronunciation Mastery course is super helpful for getting a lot of the early mistakes dealt with. It's pretty... Um, it's pretty remarkable. And of course, I, I know that Chris had learned some Chinese, but, you know, depending on your source of learning Chinese, pronunciation may or may not be uh, enough of a focus. So, uh, and for those of you who are past pronunciation mastery course, it's always a good idea to go back there and make sure that you're saying things properly. Cassie Moen on Make a Movie for Dan. This character has the same pronunciation and tone as the previous character. And the written character is very similar too. Yeah, the only difference between these two characters is that uh, this Dan, which means B-U-T, the conjunction, but, has the person component on the left, 
the character previous to it, uh, which is like basically like Daybreak, that's uh, literally the sun coming over the horizon. It's a pictograph. And uh, that's also pronounced Dan. It just doesn't have the person component. Um, and so continuing, she says, should I be doing anything to make sure my stories for the two aren't overlapped too much? Or is it okay if I kind of share a story between the two? I'm guessing in spoken Mandarin, context clues will help me differentiate between the two. But at this stage, how much should I be doing to keep the two characters distinct in my mind? Yeah, so I don't think it's actually all that necessary to worry about this. Um, maybe emphasize the uh, person component, which is the primary difference. Uh, and of course, the right side component is the entire character. So it's like, say, maybe a rooster versus the previous uh, scene has the sun and a razor blade. And then the uh, this scene would be uh, the person component, maybe Chuck Norris and Rooster. So there's going to be different props. So that alone should be enough to make you distinguish between the characters. It, of course, would be the same actor in the same set in the same room. But then it comes down to what are these characters used in and dan shi and dan, meaning b the conjunction but, is uh, f so common. You're going to see it all the time. And then the dan, meaning daybreak, doesn't come up all that often. Probably the most common is yuan dan, which means new year. Yuan Dan Jie is New Year's Day. And so that's probably the most common word you'll see it in. It's not a super frequent character. We mostly teach that character to get you to the high frequency character, Dan, meaning uh, B-U-T, but. Jonathan Evans on It's a Word for Qi. Is there a time where I don't need to remember each character by its story or prop? In my head, is there a time where I read directly? Right now, I cannot see the future. Absolutely, Jonathan. So one, you naturally forget your scenes. I mean, maybe not, you won't forget literally 100% of them, but the scenes are essentially a bridging the gap between not knowing anything about Chinese to seeing the character in context. Once you see the character enough in context, you'll memorize it forever. And at that point, your brain kind of tends to naturally forget the scene because it doesn't need it anymore. Um, and qi is in phase one of the course. So it, uh, or maybe it's the beginning of phase two, but it's it. You don't start reading characters in context until you reach phase three, which is also known as level 13. Um, so that's when you start taking the characters you've learned, putting them together into comprehensible sentences, and then starting to read them in context. But you need to know, I mean, at that point, you know 104 characters. That's about the minimum you can learn and still easily be able to uh, function because it's, um, it's quite difficult to make sentences with only 105 characters that are comprehensible and make sense and have any kind of reasonable meaning to them. Uh, but that's what starts happening in phase three. So just keep on trucking and you'll get there. Kate Gans on level 38 complete. She says, thanks for adding the traverse.link URL to show progress made in each level. Sending the link to family and friends for them to see my progress is easier than sending a file. Yeah, this is uh, referring to the new way of tracking your progress that we've put into the level reviews. At the beginning of every level review, there's a link it says click here to see your overall word progress. And we did this so that we can more easily add uh, characters and words to the course and update the level reviews without having to re-export all of these different PDF files. It was a very kind of like, you know, uh, a, smart, uh, a smart website link versus a dumb PDF. You know, having to do everything manually was just far too time consuming uh, to be reasonable. So now we've switched it to being more uh, link-based and website-based, so I'm glad to hear that you're finding that useful, Kate. Chris Lewis on Vocab Unlocked from Zong, Zong Shi. How do you get Snape from Zong Shi, or is it just a link I make in my mind? I love the movies. Well, that's a re re Zong Shi means always. There's this uh, very emotional scene in the uh, Harry Potter movies where Snape says, uh, Dumbledore says to Snape, Still, after all these years, you feel love for Lily Potter, even though she's, you know, long since passed away. And he answers always and creates the Patronus charm to show um, that he, he still is in love with her because his Patronus is a doe, which relates to uh, Lily Potter. So that's a quite emotional scene in, in the final Harry Potter film. So that's why we come up with the connection to Snape because he says always. Chris Lewis on Lai Zi in context. I imagine Lorenzo going to the zoo in the backyard of my childhood home and lying down next to Zivon, 
who's inside the lion cage, scared, of course, and saying, where did you come from? I'm using zi as the mnemonic for zoo and zivan. This is interesting. I mean, you don't have to necessarily do the backyard of your childhood home for a living link. Uh, so you use the backyard of your childhood home for some kind of fourth tone uh, that doesn't have a final for an individual character. But lai zi is not an individual character. It's two characters. So we're talking about a living link to a compound word. So this is an important distinction to make. Any two-character word does not require the henzi movie method. Now that doesn't mean it doesn't you shouldn't think about mnemonic devices to remember the word, but it's not, as we explained in the phase two living links lessons, which if you haven't seen those, Chris, any of the new vocabulary unlocked lessons from phase two cover techniques for learning uh two character or more words and it's possible you missed those because we only recently updated them a couple of weeks ago so uh, in phase two all of the new vocab unlocked lessons go into a lot of detail about this the main thing to understand is there is a distinction between how you learn individual characters versus how you learn two character or more words it's not as complicated to learn two character or more words and uh, so hopefully that will help robert carver on vocab unlocked from xiang Yingxiang might be my favorite word so far. Shadow sound to mean influence. What an awesome way to convey that meaning. To remember the word, I think of Wormtongue from the Lord of the Rings movies. Leaning over like a shadow to whisper into the ear of the king to influence him. Yeah, I love that connection. And uh, yeah, that's a really cool word. Yingxiang. Because like, influence is in and of itself not very solid. It's something that is subtle it's like a shadow it's not something you can really nail down the sound of a shadow right it's like it's not like oh that guy uh you know gave me a basketball to practice with he handed me a basketball it's like okay there's your influence there but then there's like more subtle influence and that's kind of what uh warm tongue represents i love that L. Karen on pick a prop for E razor blade cigars and lead pipes. Isn't the etymology of E just a result of old school counting methods using sticks on the ground? Isn't not just a one stick on the ground? E R is two sticks. San is three sticks. Literally a representation of three sticks. I don't know. That's how I. It always made sense to me. An early representation of abstract numbers. Nothing wrong with thinking of it like that. Uh, the key here is to understand that E R and San are just the beginning of starting a longer process of learning how the Hanzi movie method works. I think the key here is to understand that, yes, ER and San are super easy. Of course they are. They're just three, one stroke, two stroke, three strokes to represent one, two, and three. But you're not yet aware of how they fit into the longer, the larger process of the Hanzi movie method when you're at this point. So if you want to think of them as three sticks, that's fine. But like the key is to remember that this is not the end of the Henza movie method. This is clearly just the beginning. So just keep that in mind as you move forward. Hank Elliott on Vocab Unlocked from Tai. Tai bu Google says, can't afford to look up. Mandarin Lubrin says, feeling shame or inferior equals not being able to look up or can't face the world. Beautiful and simple. I love Chinese, right? So Tai to is this. It's so I, right now I'm Di to and right Tai to. Tai to, to lift up your head, right? So if you tai bu qi to, so tai bu qi means I'm unable to lift my head. So I'm so ashamed that tai bu qi to, I can't even lift it because I just too much shame, right? And so that's the idea behind that. And yes, it is quite poetic to put it that way. Kari Shikari on Vocab Unlocked from Nuan, uh, which means like warm. I encountered Nuan Huo in the Pimsler audio course recently. However, it was pronounced instead. It seems a search online reveals either pronunciation can appear, can either be used, or do they have slightly different meanings? There's no difference in meaning. I hear way more often. Um, is I, I don't think I can recall anybody ever saying it that way. Uh, so you, I mean, of course, is the primary pronunciation of that particular character. But usually, people will refer to the air or the environment being warm as uh, so that's what I would say about that. Richard Krauss on Vocab Unlocked from Qi. It appears that Qi in the first sentence, Ni zai na li 
has the meaning both. Is that right? Well, sort of. Um, so you can say you or you can say So Ji is working in conjunction with yo to list two adjectives. That's how you say something has two characteristics. You put ji adjective, yo adjective, or yo adjective, yo adjective. And then that's a way of listing two adjectives that apply to one thing. Uh, so that's it. That's pretty much what, how that works. So you could translate that as this bread is really both cheap and delicious. That's fine. Uh, to translate it like that. Um, it just doesn't always, you know, you know, thinking of it as translating as both is less helpful, I think, than thinking of it as working in conjunction as with yo to give two descriptions of one thing. Jason Pan on 上车 in context. 下雨天出门就上车也不怕雨很方便 First time seeing tian, meaning when it's in xia yu tian, is this just similar to de shi jian or dang shi among a couple others I've seen? Well, I mean, I think you're overthinking it. Xia yu tian, well, tian means day. So a day of rain, a rainy day. Um, that may not have been uh, how we translated it. It might have translated as when it's raining, but just try not to rely too much in the translations. Like, the, see if you can figure it out yourself, because th- it's pretty straightforward. Tian means day. Xiaoyu Tian means the days when it's raining, rainy day, right? So it's it's not um, it's easy to overthink. I think that that's just uh, just try to look a little bit more at the characters and think about what it's saying. Here's another one from Jason Pan on Shangchu in context. Was a bit thrown off by this one. I thought the subject was cars and the object's pets. A lot of cars don't let pets in the car. Though the translation looks to me that pets are the subject. What am I missing? I don't think you're missing anything, Jason. I think it's just that we ask our translators to give the real meaning. And so if you were to give the literal translation of this, it would be um, many cars don't let pets get on them, which doesn't make sense. Cars can't do anything to anyone. They're not sentient, right? But the implication of this sentence is that the drivers of the cars don't let uh, pets onto the in, in or onto the car. And so the translator just decided to go with pets aren't allowed on or in a lot of vehicles, which is fine. It's, it's the same meaning. Um, whether or not it's a subject or object first is not really relevant to the meaning of the uh, of the sentence. You know, we've got 很多车, so many cars 都不让, all don't let 宠物, pets, 上车, get in the car, right? So you could tr- translate that literally, but then you have this weird thing where a car is making a pet get in or on the car and that doesn't you know make a lot of sense so the translator decided to say pets aren't allowed in a lot of vehicles which is fine i mean the meaning is is the same so um yeah again i understand getting thrown off by it but like just try to remember that like you can look, just look at the Chinese characters and understand the the meaning of it. You don't always need the English translation to get the meaning out of it. And in the intermediate course, there won't be English translations. So you're in level 30 now. It's probably a good time to start relying a little bit less on them. Rebecca Webel on Vocab Unlocked from Xie. So the sentence is, Hi, could you please explain what the Xia does in this phrase? So I've linked to two Loom videos here that uh, explain the zai something plus xia shang zhong li why these very different uh, these different directional based characters that you put after an object and you put the object after zai so you have zai object or or place or or action and then you have shang or xia and so in this case zai da jia de xie zhu xia under the like you know under the help of everyone uh you know you know might you might say tutelage under the tutelage of my teacher is an example we why do we say under there 
because we're trying to get across the idea that there's this overarching thing that's happening. And so in these videos, I go into more detail about how you can use them with different parts, but this zai plus something plus xia is a very common structure that you'll see, and you can check out the two videos to get more examples uh, in the show notes. Jason Pan on qi in context. 我又什么时候能买得起汽车呢? Can you help me break down this sentence to understand 买得起? Having trouble understanding how it means afford to buy. Well, 买 is means buy, 起 is to rise, so 买起. That's not something you're going to say very often without something in the middle. You'll usually say 买得起 or 买不起. But the idea is that if you can see something, it means you can do it. You can buy it. Like the buying has come to be. It's the buying is, you know, has come to be risen. So remember that when you put du or bu, these are infixes, meaning that the result can be achieved from the verb or the result cannot be achieved from the verb. So maidachi uh, means you can afford it. You can buy it. So that the other way to put to say can buy something is afford, right? And then uh, the result of, you know, uh, buying coming about cannot be achieved, right? So the sentence here, and the like the yo there is emphasizing like negation, right? So it's like, um, it's a rhetorical question. They're saying, so when when on earth am I going to be able to afford a, a car, right? So it's probably somebody whose wages are really low and they can't get close to buying a car. So um, so that's the idea there. Jason Pan on Lian in context. What's the purpose of the second can in this sentence? Thanks. So is a set grammatical phrase, which means even looking um so e she won't even look at me is basically the, uh, the sentence here and it doesn't translate directly so so didn't look at me uh and didn't even look at me she didn't even look at me is the translation that's correct for this and the way you describe uh Things like this, you say, Lian can, can, or Lian chi, So, like, I made this guy food and he didn't even eat it. Uh, right? And, um, it's just a, it's just a way of getting across the idea of, uh, even. It's just, it's an emphasis. You know, I, I, she, you could just say, Ta. Right? But if you want to say, like, she didn't even look at me. Like, maybe you were trying to get her attention. It's like, Right? So it's the is where the emphasis falls. Because, again, you take that away, it's still a grammatically correct sentence. She didn't look at me. And you want to say, but she didn't even look at me. Right? That's the idea there. You'll see it. You'll see it come up uh, a lot more often as you move forward. Jason Pan on Liang in context. This is the measure word for cars. In this sentence, does Lo Xia suggest that she rode the e-bike to the basement part of the house or street level? No, Lo Xia is the street level. It just means downstairs. Right. Um, and so you can think of it like that. If you want to say the basement, you would say fu e lo. So fu means negative. Fu e lo means the basement level one. So the negative first level. Fu ar lo. So like if you're in a mall or something, there's often more than one basement level because you'll have like basement one is where you know, you've got some more shops, but then on basement two, that's where the parking is or whatever. So it's basically ELO is the street level. Fu ELO is the first basement level. Fu ARLO, and you can go, I mean, maybe a place has seven basement levels, you know. Fu ELO, it just means that it's seven levels below ELO, which is street level. So ELO, street level. And then Fu, this negative character, you can see it at 
it can be used in the word negative as opposed to positive, fu mian. So the negative aspect, fu mian. Or a lot of people talk about zheng neng liang, which means positive energy. But you can also have fu neng liang, which is negative energy. So uh, fu is the opposite of zheng. Zheng meaning positive. So they're kind of positive and negative as uh, antonyms there. Matt Schubert on Duoma in context. Is there any meaning or emphasis difference for when you use yo before Duoma? I thought maybe it was an adjective versus verb thing, but in the sample sentences, there's two examples with adjectives. Subject plus Duoma, how can? Subject plus yo Duoma ke ai. And, with, and two with verbs. Subject Duoma ai. Subject yo Duoma ai. I do understand the idea of more input leading to natural understanding of what sounds right or wrong to use, but in, in this case, I really don't get the yo here. So the yo doma uh, is in a longer form bit of content, content that comes, I believe, in level 22 or 23, and it's about why a lot of people don't want to have kids these days, and it goes through some of the negatives of having kids, but then it, it falls... It ends with, you know, the thing that we kind of all know about having kids, which is that despite all the responsibility that they are, you end up really just loving them, and that's what gets you through. So, there, here's this the few sentences. So you can only, again, this is picking it up the story midstream, but it's basically saying like, you're all, you have to uh, page by page teach them. Hayo also. If they test well, you'll, if they test well, you'll have to give them some kind of uh, either cash or some kind of very expensive thing. And then finally, here's the final sentence. But you'll slowly discover just how lovable these little things are. Just how much you love them. And so it doesn't necessarily translate as have to say, It's more like saying just how much. Just how much you love them, right? You'll discover that. How, you, you love them so much. Just how much you love them. It kind of translates like that. Um, and so, again, it's not a perfect direct translation, as many things aren't. But uh, that's the idea there. Uh, it makes it, it makes sense to me looking back on it. Like, you know, when I look at when I read that, I was like, yeah, sure. You could say, So I am going to fall back a little bit on it, it makes sense if you have enough of your input there. And so... Um, the difference is subtle, but it does make sense to me. Next, we have Matt Schubert on Baobe, or Baobar, in context. This isn't related to the lesson we're on, but I was curious about Chenghu in this sentence. Would the same meaning be achieved by saying, Or is more of a passive verb? Is it like is called, she is called baby? Uh, while Chenghu is an active version of that verb, like call. He calls her baby. I like where you're thinking with this, but um, you could say it. Uh, That's fine. Because um, uh, the sentence makes it clear that it doesn't mean jiao is in like make her or, or uh, you know, passive calling. So uh, it, cheng, Chenghu is just a really, it's just slightly more formal. But people do say it a lot. 我应该怎么称呼你? How should I address you? This is a thing that's very polite to say to somebody who's, say, like, uh, you know, maybe older than you or their social status is different than yours and you're not sure. You can say, 我应该, how should, I should, 我应该怎么, how, how should I, 称呼, address, me, you. So, 我应该怎么称呼你, very useful uh, phrase. And, but in this case, you could use jiao as well. Jason Pan on gao in context. Does jiangde imply growing as well? Sure, jiang. The character means to grow. Jiangde zemmeyang. Jiangde gao. 
right? So yeah, definitely means uh, grow. Can this also be said with bienda? Sure, because uh, bienda is a little bit broader, right? So it's just change. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but jangda uh, is a little bit more specific because it's, you know, you grow to be tall, right? Kairi Shikari on Vocab Unlocked from Da is the main difference between Da Dao and Dao Da, something like reaching something abstract, expectation, goal, etc., versus reaching an actual destination, or are they interchangeable? No, you got it right. Um, they're not really interchangeable because Dao Da is um, the formal way of saying arrive, and it's usually at a location. The most common place I hear this is uh, in uh, like the equivalent of Uber in China. The little the, the phone will say, which means arrived at your destination, right? And so that's very clear. It's a literal thing that you've arrived in space to that definition. Whereas, is usually, like you said, reaching something more abstract, a goal or an expectation. So, has that feeling of like overcoming like the reaching to overcome the thing that you're trying to get to. And so, you know, reach your goal. So yeah, it's the difference. The primary difference is just abstract versus uh, concrete. Xiao en on ji in context. In the sentence, 我记下你的电话了. Isn't that 电话 is the phone itself, but phone number is 电话号码, or 电话 can mean can both mean the phone and the phone number to Chinese people. Yeah, you know, Dianhua is such a useful word because it, it applies to so many things. Yeah, sure, Dianhua Hama is the more common word for phone number. I mean, or I should say is the literal word for phone number. But people will say Dianhua to refer to the phone call. They'll say Dianhua to refer to the phone. And they'll often say Dianhua to refer to the phone number. It's all context. So, uh, yes, that's uh, the situation. And there's another one from Xiao En on Ji in context where he says in the sentence, I thought Bu comes before the action verb it negates. Should it not be Bu Ji? Or it could go either before or after the action it negates. So, what I'd recommend, Xiao En, is for you to watch the eighth part of the word structure series, which you should be able to find the sidebar of the course when you're on your computer, because that covers affixes. And there's an infix for bu. So, ji bu zhu means unable to remember. So, bu ji just means didn't remember. I mean, and you usually say wang le. I forgot, right? Because that's what unable to, or, or I didn't remember. Uh, but ji bu zhu means unable to remember. When you put a verb plus a result, ji is the verb to remember. Zhu means to set it in place in your mind. So ji zhu is a memory, uh, is a memorize, right? So ji bu zhu means cannot achieve the result of zhu, uh, which is to like stick it in place, have it live in your mind, because zhu means live. So ji zhu means to memorize, to remember so that it lives in your brain, right? But if you say ji de zhu, that would mean you can remember something, it's possible to memorize something, and ji bu zhu means it's impossible to memorize that thing. So check out the part eight of the word structure series on affixes. That will cover this uh, section on the, in the infixes section. Christine on Vocab Unlocked from Chu. Just following on to Soren's comment though, the supposed meaning that the sentence is supposed to convey for this word is administrative division. Here's the sentence. 很多城市 so where is the administrative division in this sentence? Surely the meaning of the sentence is zone, shibushi. So I like this question because I actually live in the Gaoxinqu of Chengdu, which is the high-tech zone, but it totally is an administrative division. So every city has different districts in China, and uh, so they're usually labeled with something relevant to the history of the area. For example, I used to live in, in Chengdu in the district known as Jinjiangqu, which is the, the reason it's called that is because the Jin River runs through it. So Jiang means river, Jinjiang is the Jin River. And um, that's where I lived for a while. And then I moved to the Gaoxinqu, which is kind of a mix of an administrative division. It has a police department. It has courts. It has, uh, you know, people who are in charge of the administration of this particular 
district in Chengdu, but it's also a, a common area in many Chinese cities that are specifically about having tech incubators and uh, having like computer software parks. And it's where they put a lot of the money into different investments and business. There's usually a lot of skyscrapers in these areas. And um, so that's the Gaoxinxu. And because many cities have it, it, that's what the sentence means. Many cities are all dali fajan. So they're they're working hard to develop their high-tech zones. So while zone is definitely like a useful word here, the zone is also a uh, administrative division. So there are synonyms in this case. Chris Lewis on required sentences versus optional sentences. This may not be the right place to ask this, but looking in the required sentences and came across this one. I understand all but why the D is before the shuo. Is it a mistake or gives some special meaning? Uh, it's not a mistake. Uh, we wrote an article about when this character D is pronounced D. And when is it pronounced D? When you're trying to say how a verb happened. So shuo. The mama pig said versus the mama sheep or the mama pig um, nervously said, worriedly said, right? So it turns adjectives into uh, adverbs or it can turn verbs into adverbs depending. But uh, usually it's adjectives into adverbs. So means happy. means happily. Uh, you know, so you can think of whatever adjective you want. If you put it as d and connect it to a verb, it means adjectively doing that verb or adverbly doing that verb. So uh, that's how the d d situation works. Chris Lewis on vocab unlocked from Zong Shi. He says a good living link for this one is "Always on My Mind," a song by the Pet Shop Boys we used to always dance to in the late '80s and early '90s. There was a particular young woman who was always on my mind back in those days. She's the new image. Fair enough. Yeah, you got the "Always on My Mind." That's a great connection because it has the word "always" in the title, and then you even came up with a couple of extra ways to apply "always" to that. So "zong shi" means always. Good living link connection there. I like it. Carrie Woods on vocab unlocked from "yang," "yi yang," "shen yang," "yangs." For the same, I had to use that meme of the two Spider Men pointing at each other. It was too good. Yeah, we all know that meme, right? The two Spider-Men pointing at each other and people will often apply different words to it of, you know, like two groups that are actually acting in the same way uh, and they're like blaming each other, which is, yeah, it's great. Also, a tree sheep teaching style had me laughing a lot. Yeah, for youngs, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's a good uh, couple of living link connections for the character. Yeah, that'll be it for this week's Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Remember, if you'd like to help us get the advanced course finished as quickly as possible, donate to our GoFundMe, which is at the beginning of the show notes for this episode. Uh, you can also send us a donation via PayPal. This will help us get the advanced course out sooner rather than later. And uh, again, if you if it would be any financial burden to donate, please do not. Uh, but if you happen to have some uh, extra cash lying around and you know that you want the advanced course sooner rather than later, let's see if we can hit our goal. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.